day has come. It's the series that I've been looking forward to, and at the same time, absolutely dreading. <laughs> so let me start this series uh, with this, because I think this series requires that I give you a little bit of a warning. Because the next six weeks will be a brutally honest look at the church. You will probably, and I say probably, be offended at some point in the next 30 minutes. And definitely by the end of the six weeks. I don't claim that this series will be an easy one. What I propose is that it is a necessary one. So before we begin the series, I need you to know two things. The first is this. The next six weeks will be the largest outpouring of my heart possibly ever. Because I love the church, and I love Jesus, and I know where it should be, and I know where it is. So for the next six weeks, this is not about you. It's not about me. It's going to be about Jesus. So I'm going to pour my heart out for six weeks. That's number one. But the second thing is this. I want action to come from this series. I don't want us to just show up and listen for 30 minutes, give it a hand clap or maybe a boo if I really hit the right buttons, right? That's not what I'm looking for. I want us to be different. I want us to act, right? Because we have to be different. We must. The world around us is dying without Jesus as I speak. We've got to be better. So let me begin by telling you about an article called The Rise of the Nuns. Now, this is nuns, N-O-N-E, not N-O-N-U-N, right? Uh, although, if <laughs> I've debated on similar things myself. Uh, so, The Rise of the Nuns, all right? This was the title of an article uh, written by the Pew Research Center, which came across my desk uh, a few years ago, and this was already a couple years ago. And so, the nuns that they referenced were part of the latest religious survey in the U.S. where they ask everyone what their religious affiliation is, right? So you in this room, most of you at least, would say Methodist or United Methodist, right? You're going to check that box on the form. Now, the nuns are those who selected either atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular, okay? In other words, when asked what religion they are, they said none, in 2007, that number was 16% of the American population. In 2019, last year, that number was 26%, right? That means for one, every, one out of every four people you met at the grocery store or at your workplace last year does not hold any religious belief at all. One in four, okay? If you still don't get it, let me share this. That rise equates to 30 million people who have joined the nun club, right? or the population of New York City and Los Angeles combined. Okay? That many people now say, I have no religious affiliation. Now, during that same span, 07 to 19, this professing Christians dropped from 78% to 65%. And we all know that there's far fewer people than that in church on any given Sunday. So to say that Christianity has a problem is probably an understatement. Now, the church often looks at this decline, and we jump right to the justifications, and we want to place blame anywhere else but here, right? Because we don't just do it in church. We do it in our own lives too, right? Whenever we have a problem, it's always somebody else's fault. Surely I did not bring it upon myself. 
So we claim that the world is simply sinful and doesn't want to know Jesus. We tell ourselves that it's society's fault for filling people's minds with garbage, right? We blame our politicians, usually just the ones on the other party, for not supporting the church more. We want to look anywhere else for the root of the problem except inward. Because surely the church cannot be the fault for its own demise. Surely someone else is to blame. But to solve a problem, to solve a real problem, we have to know what the real problem is. <laughs> this is what brings us to this series. What is the real problem in the church? And more importantly, how do we solve it? So the real problem from an airplane view is that the church has a branding problem. Now, every company, every organization has a brand, okay? It's, they have logos and t-shirts and signs, which is part of the branding, but all of that is really just to creatively demonstrate the key issue that they're trying to deal with, right? What is the key mission of the organization? The true brand of a place is the reason they exist. For example, when I say Coca-Cola, you think of soda, right? You think of soda. Now, you might think of their signature red logo. You might think of some of their branding campaigns. But ultimately, you think of soda. It's the whole reason Coca-Cola exists. Coca-Cola brand exists to make and sell great soda. That's their whole point. Every advertisement, every word spoken by the company, every campaign they launch is for that purpose, to make and sell great soda. You know what they're about when you see their commercials and their branding. The mission and the brand fit, right? I can't tell you a Coke commercial I've seen that did not include somebody chugging a Coca-Cola, right? It all matches together. That was a big B. The church also has a mission and a brand. But can we say that those two things align? Right? Does our mission, the core reason we exist, align with the way that we brand or the public image that we are establishing with every word and every action that we take? For those who have spent a lifetime in the church, this might be a hard truth to swallow. The church does not line up its mission and its branding. What we say we're about does not match the things we're actually doing and saying. The church is sick, and it has been sick for a long time. And we're at risk of turning terminal if we don't intervene now. Because the truth is that our public image has possibly never been worse. The church is not looked upon as favorable by the world right now. So we can mourn that fact. We can throw our pity parties but we also have to be honest with ourselves and admit that we've brought it upon ourselves, right? Because I've read the Gospels. I know what Jesus is like. There isn't a person on the planet who does not want Jesus. Not one. They might say that, but it's because the image they've gotten of Jesus is of us. They look at us and, well, if that's what Jesus looks like, am I really interested? So let me walk you through a, 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 why I say this. Public image is created by the things that we, the church, do and say. The way that we interact with the world, you and I, tells people all they need to know about our mission. 
And because we're a church, it tells them everything they want to know about God. Their image of God is formed by their view of your actions and your words as someone who claims to follow God. So, I've done a quick read-through of my social media news feed and some various Christian websites. Okay? And if I were an outsider, let me share with you, based on what I see most from Christians, what the church's core mission and values are based on what we're putting out. I think there are four. I've got four that I share. There's probably a little more. But there's four specific things that we do as a church that if I had no idea what a church was and I was looking at what we are doing, this is the things I would think. The number one thing is this. The church must be about swaying American politics. Right? Because Christians post more political garbage than anybody else on my newsfeed. We slander people we disagree with. We celebrate when the other party or candidate sins. We mock and name-call like we're five-year-old children. We support or hate candidates unwaveringly based simply on their party. We do all of this while claiming that Jesus is the reason we're doing it. <laughs> Let me be candid, as if I haven't been already. American politics does not serve the mission of the church. And we have to stop insisting that it does or that it should. Right? We're wasting our breath. I only have so many minutes left in my life to give. And so we offer this view to our friends and our family every single time we post political things on our newsfeed that Jesus serves only our party, only our candidate, only our agenda for the country. But I can't name for you one time, one time, that a political party led somebody to Jesus. Not once. <laughs> you can't do it because politics can't do it. I'm not saying that you shouldn't vote or that you shouldn't be politically involved. What I'm saying is that the church is so wrapped up in politics, we've forgotten that that's not where we live. It has nothing to do with our purposes. But the people outside the church, they are watching. And what they see is what they're forming. Surely this must be what God is like. And then we wonder why nobody's interested in Jesus. <laughs> The second thing that most of our stuff is about turns us into a historical society. The church spends a lot of time and energy complaining that the world and the church is different. In fact, the world is changing faster than ever before. I was just telling somebody the other day, I even have a hard time uh, in, in conversations with teenagers because the world has changed so quickly, even I haven't kept up, right? And I was born into this, <laughs> right? It's changed quickly. But... Meanwhile, we spend all of our time complaining because the world has changed and we refuse to change to meet the people around us, right? Our worship services look just like they did 50 years ago. Who cares if the lost people don't like it, right? We sink hundreds of thousands of dollars into maintaining buildings that are falling apart at the seams as if we think the building is going to last forever if we just put a few more dollars in. We don't consider that there's a world full of nuns who find our ornate buildings and old liturgy from the last century intimidating and will never in a lifetime wander into our building. Our goal seems to be to preserve the past instead of living in the present and ensuring the church has a future. If our goal is to preserve history, we're doing just fine. <laughs> but if our goal is to make disciples, our nostalgia continues to get in the way. 
So those are two things. Do you want me to do the next two? <laughs> Third thing is this, the morality police. Right? We want the whole world to follow the prescriptions of Jesus. And I'm going to be honest, that's a great goal. Right? I believe that when we follow the things Jesus wants us to do, life turns out a whole lot better. <laughs> right? Turns out the God who created everything knows what he's doing. <laughs> but, instead, what we do is we pick and we choose various sins to go after while the people in our own pews and pulpits are continually outed in their own sin. We demand that people who don't know Jesus follow his rules anyway. So let me give you an example of what I mean, right? So California currently has a ban on all large gatherings, right? Anything over a certain number, you can't gather together, okay? So if I came to you this morning and I said, look, California says their churches can't meet, so we can't meet either. Now, you're going to look at me like I'm crazy, right? Because we don't live in California. So the rules in California don't apply to us because we are in Indiana. This is what we do with people. I follow Jesus, so you should abide by his rules. We want to legislate morality instead of introducing them to Jesus, who will change their hearts to be like his heart, so they do desire to be right and not bad. Finally, we ultimately become a social club. And this one's probably the most common one of all. We come to church to see our friends and our family, to sing the songs that we like, sometimes to hear a nice, inviting word from the pastor. And then we leave. And life doesn't look any different other than that we've spent an hour on Sunday morning in church. There's nothing that sets us apart from your mom's bridge group or the weekly golf league across the street. It's a powerless meeting where people go for relationship with each other and nothing else. This is what people see when they look at our services. Now, you might think, when I list these four areas out, you might think that I'm wrong, right? Surely that's not what people outside the church think. But I would invite you to ask any person you know who does not go to church or who does not follow Jesus what they think of the church, and I would be willing to place a wager that their answer will fall into one of these four categories. Because what they see of the church is not what Jesus looks like. Our public image does not match the gospel we profess to believe in and follow. So what do we do? <laughs> what do we do? If our public image is off, what do we do? We have two options. We can simply refuse to change who we are and what we stand for. We can keep right on the same path we've been on for 30 years, and in 30 more years, the church will be almost dead. After all, conserv conservative estimates, right? They do studies of this stuff. Conservative estimates say that 4,000 churches close every year, all right? Now, I did the math on that. That's an average of 77 churches a week, right? 77 churches every week close their doors in our country. Now, you might think, okay, that comes out to like 11 per day, right? Except that most churches are going to finish on a Sunday, right? Because Sunday is like our hurrah day, right? So you figure, while we are speaking right now, 77 churches are having their very last worship service ever. 77! So we could join that ranks if we really like to. But I refuse. <laughs> I refuse to go there. I always and will always push with all my being for the second option, which is that we can abandon our fruitless pursuits of political gain, building bandages, social clubs, and pursue the real gospel. We can choose to exist for our actual purposes as laid out in the gospel, right? 
Can I share with you the heart of Jesus for his church this morning? Yes? Right? Because I can't just share the bad stuff with you. The gospel's good news. We can't end on the bad stuff. Right? Do you want to know what instructions Jesus left for the church? Why it is that we exist? Turn with me. Matthew 28. All right? If you got your Bibles, you got your phone. Matthew 28. We're going to answer the question, why do we exist? Why does the church exist? So we're looking at verses 16 through 20. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. All right? Let me give you some context. This is after Jesus has gone to the cross, after he's raised from the dead, right? And it's right before he's going to leave the disciples. Okay, these are like the last things he says in Matthew. Now, I don't know about you, but generally, final words and final encounters with people are, are what matter, right? They really matter. Because if you got like one last minute, you're going to share the most important thing you can. So here's what Jesus tells his disciples. Here's how the encounter goes. He says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So, why do we exist? It's all right here in these four verses. Okay? In a very short nutshell, and in the words of Jesus, the church exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ of all nations. That's it. Like, literally, that's it. No politics, no clinging to buildings, no bossing the world around, no social clubs. We exist to make and be disciples. That's it. Right? That makes our ministry seem really easy, right? We literally have one thing to do, make disciples. Now, the problem is the word disciple has been used for a lot of things in its lifespan. And so you, we might not fully understand what that looks like. What does it mean to make disciples? So let me break it down in an easy-to-remember slogan. All right, you ready? So I want you to repeat it after me as we go. Okay, ready? Upward, Upward. inward, inward. Outward. outward. That sounds kind of familiar, right? So say it again, upward, upward. Inward. inward, outward. So we exist to focus our lives, our church, our gathering, upward, inward, and outward. So let me walk you through what each of those pieces means. First, the church exists to focus upward, right? We exist to encounter Jesus, to have an encounter with God, to bring him glory in everything we do. Notice that when Jesus shows up, what do the disciples do? They worship him. It says they gave him glory. They honored him, right? Seeing the resurrected Jesus was an awe-inspiring moment that prompted them to worship. It was an encounter. And when you and I encounter Jesus, oh man, you all know, right? Because each of you at some point in your life has had an encounter with Jesus where you have nothing else you feel like you can do, but man, praise God, <laughs> Because when you encounter Jesus, the Jesus with all the power, all the authority, worship is our natural response. It's the whole reason we spend time in worship on Sunday mornings, right? You guys know we worship on Sunday because Jesus rose on the third day, right? Right? We're celebrating the resurrected Jesus. So 
We, as a church, our whole goal is to help you encounter Jesus and, and to have an opportunity to bring him glory, to focus upward at the risen Savior. We are the only faith in the world, in the whole world, with a God who conquers death, right? This is literally what it's all about. <laughs> so we focus upward, but then we are to focus inward on our obedience. Jesus says, when he says to make disciples, Teach them, meaning the disciples being made, meaning you, right? Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. The church exists to help you obey Jesus. Obedience, Jesus says elsewhere, comes from loving Jesus, right? So he says, look, the more you grow in your love for Jesus, the more you appreciate, the more you worship, the more you focus upward, the more you are going to want to obey, to line your life up with what Jesus is telling you to do. The church is the place where we look inward at our lives for fruit of the Spirit, for growth, right? Intentional growth. It's intentional growth. And the church should expect it from each of us, right? This is, this is where I, I think we have really fallen off, right? There's no expectation set on us, <laughs> Right? The expectation is, we'll see you on Sunday. But there's no expectation of life growth, of, of us looking like Jesus. Nobody calls to say, hey, I noticed you said this thing this week, and that isn't really Jesus-like. <laughs> right? No, it's not to say we should be constantly calling each other out. Right? But the church is a place where we're supposed to grow inward. All right? We're supposed to grow in. But then finally, the church looks outward. All right? We look outward to share the good news, to share the life-changing truth of death and resurrection of Jesus. Right? Go and make disciples of all nations, Jesus tells them. This is precisely what the disciples did. Right? They got filled up in Acts chapter 2. They got filled up with the Holy Spirit in a prayer meeting. All right? Think about this. Upward worship of God, which led to an inward filling of the Spirit. And off they went to share the good news. Peter's first attempt yielded 3,000 new followers. <laughs> Woo! Our focus upward and inward is incomplete if we don't ever focus it outward. It's downright selfish to encounter Jesus in a life-transforming way, to have our lives completely changed and not want to share it with our neighbor. Is it possible to understand the good news, and I mean really get the gospel, and not share it wherever we go? I don't think it is. Jesus told his disciples that to care about him is to care about people, right? To see that people are respected and clothed and fed and set free from bondage, right? All so that they can experience Jesus too. Upward, inward, outward. The church exists to be all about Jesus, encountering him upward, being more like him inward, and sharing him with the world outward. Upward, inward, outward. This is our only purpose for existence. Everything that we do to, is to further these primary directives. Everything we say, everything we do, everything we write, everything we post should be about these things. Our entire brand should be centered on taking people upward, inward, and outward. That is the church that changes the world. That is the church which reaches the lost. That's the church whose brand matches the gospel they follow. That's the church that the world needs right now. So we, here's the good news, right? Because you're probably feeling a little convicted. We can be that church. 
This is the good news. We can be that church. We can put aside our need for political power. We can choose to lay the comfort and nostalgia of our old buildings aside in favor of new spaces, i.e. where we're at right this minute, right? And we can find, use our resources in a better way to reach our community. We can focus on our own morality instead of demanding it in others. We can fellowship together as we walk toward Jesus, and we can do it. I know that we can, and here's why. I have two reasons I know this. And they're both in the scripture. You ready? It's the start of what Jesus said in the very end. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, we can conquer our image problem, our heart problem. We can do that because Jesus, who holds all authority in heaven and on earth, has promised to be with us always. It doesn't depend on us. It doesn't depend on us. Right? Hallelujah for that. Because if that was the case, the church would die fast. Right? It depends on the power and authority of Jesus that is with us all the time. And it's only the power and authority of Jesus that can overcome the mess we've created. And that power is with us whenever we give the church back to him. So can we rebrand the church? Yes. Will it be easy? Absolutely not. (laughs) Because it will require each one of us to sacrifice our own preferences, our own lives, our own idols. But we exchange those things for a life filled with Jesus. And so we can be the church that faces upward, inward, and outward. Because that's the kind of church Jesus wants. Power is present in that church. Sign me up. (laughs) Let's pray. (laughs) God, we are so thankful that when the church is doing what it should, it doesn't depend on us. God, we simply have to give you control of your church. So God, we relinquish the reins this morning. We give up anything that we thought the gospel was about. Lord, we want the real gospel, the real church, the place where Jesus holds all authority and all power over what is said and done. So God, we give up our useless pursuits this morning. Give us the real church. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.